It's time for Heat Wave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. All right, guys, welcome. It is Heat Wave Sports. It's Saturday night. I'm Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. I'm running solo tonight. Tim Unglesby has the night off. We have two hours to go over everything in the world of sports. The best sports talk show in Las Vegas, if I don't mind saying so myself. Yes, we are absolutely going to have a good night tonight. Look, we had a big-time college slate of games tonight. Huge, absolutely big-time games. And all over college football the landscape has changed so we will get into all of that for sure we're going to also get into UNLV guys the Rebels had another quote unquote moral victory right they were stayed uh, within the number they're becoming a better a better's best friend right if you're back in the UNLV Rebels the last couple of games you're happy but no wins in the win column where it counts where UNLV Rebel fans are looking up and you're going Still a goose egg over there. We're still waiting for that win. So we'll talk about UNLV. Are moral victories meaningful to anybody? We'll have a conversation about that. We'll go over, of course, the college football slate and kind of give you an idea of where teams now lie. Then in our number two, it is rapid fire. We're going to go over every single game in the NFL, go through every single matchup, trends, analysis, and big-time injuries this week. Look, Injuries this week that I have to tell you are definitely going to impact the games, but no one's really talking about them. From a betting perspective, you know, an injury to a guard, even if he's the best guard in the league, well, that really doesn't jump off the page. That's not going to move the line. No one's even talking about it. But guess what? That has a big-time impact on the game plan. So we're going to talk about that as well. Of course, I want to hear from you guys. 876-1340, 876-1340. That is the number to get in touch. And I know some of you guys are a little shy on the radio. No problem. Don't worry about it. Hit me up on Twitter. It's at Tom Barton Sports. At Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter. And we'll have a conversation. So let's get right into it. Right? We're going to talk about a little college football. And you have a lot of conversations that can be had. There were a lot of close calls today. There were a lot of uh-oh moments. There were a lot of big-time teams that seemed to be nervous, seemed to be scared. Uh-oh, we might go down. But there were also quite a few teams that, you know, those uh-oh moments turned into, oh, no, we're actually out of this thing. And let's be honest, some of these teams were eliminated today. And they were eliminated because I will get back on my soapbox once again, and I will tell you, They're eliminated because the rules in college football are not the same for everybody. Alabama, you can lose a game. Georgia, you can lose a game. Still got a chance to go to the national championship. If there are, uh, you know, a couple of other teams out there, maybe in Oklahoma some years, you could drop that one game. Maybe in Ohio State some years, you could drop that game. 
But we do know certain conferences, certain teams, certain situations. You are not allowed to have a blemish on your record and think you could compete for a national championship. The Clemson Tigers are a team that before the year began, we all thought the move over from Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne over to DJ and what they're doing there with uh, now Kobe Pace had a huge game today. Well, we thought maybe it wouldn't bother them so much. What were we thinking? Clemson has already lost two games on the year. They narrowly escaped Boston College 19-13 in a game, by the way, I was all over the Boston College Eagles today, plus 16. I dominated the board today. This is one of the best college football days that I remember. Um, my plays for my members today, Kansas State winner. Louisiana Tech, no sweat winner. Plus 12, plus 19 and a half. Michigan State, Boston College, and now I'm sitting here and I'm waiting on this Fresno State game. So I'm 4-0. Going in here to the late games. But getting back to Clemson, you know, Clemson just isn't what we believe that they were. Clemson got has their losses. They had their one loss. I said, you know, I, I'm eliminating them. I'm eliminating them because I don't think that the rules apply where you could lose a game in Clemson. No. People argued. People pushed back. Look, they lost their second game. Clemson's eliminated, which means in a lot of respects... The ACC is probably eliminated. I'm not sure if anybody's going to buy into Wake Forest, right? Being a, a 5-0 and team. I don't know if Wake Forest is going to kind of carry the torch here. I also knew that there's another conference in America that if you lose a game and you're the big dog, the conference is done. And that's Oregon. And that's the Pac-12. That happened today. In overtime, in Stanford, on the road against a Stanford team that is still very well coached, but a Stanford team that was supposed to have a pretty down year. The Oregon Ducks go down 31-24 in overtime. There was a controversial call. Whatever you want to argue, it doesn't matter. Number three, Oregon, who yet in these ranks that kind of don't count, jumped all the way up to number three. Number three, Oregon, jumped all the way up to number three, and pretty immediately lost. Oregon 4-1 and one on the year. I think that the Pac-12 is gone. I think they're done. Which now all of a sudden begs the question alright, so who else has a chance? Well, you got the big boys in the SEC. We know that. We'll go over that in a minute. And can someone come from the Big 12? Can somebody step up and come from the Pac- uh, from the Big 10? Sure. But we do have some new players in, in the realm. And the new player is now Cincinnati. Cincinnati and Notre Dame both were head-to-head. They were both undefeated. Cincinnati comes out the victor in this game. And man, I will tell you, it was it was a it was a, a blowout by Cincinnati in many respects. Yeah, I know the score doesn't say that, but Cincinnati was on top by two touchdowns at the blink of an eye. Notre Dame looked like they couldn't do anything out there. Now, I will tell you this. Rob Mish, who's a friend of the show, on it all the time, he did an article, he wrote an article this week, and he tapped into uh, 13 professional handicappers, including myself, and did an article uh, for the Chicago Sun-Times talking about Cincinnati or Notre Dame. 
me and Rob had a conversation during the, this week, and we've been talking about this game for a little while now. But we had a conversation this week, and I, I, I was one of the only four handicappers uh, in print, by the way, that said, I like Cincy. You know, I, I think that they're a team that's going to go undefeated. And I wonder if they're that team. You know, before the year, we sat down and I said, Coastal Carolina and Cincinnati both going to be undefeated. And they're going to put them in a one-game, uh, you know, bowl game. And it's, oh, here we go. And they're going to lose out on a chance to go to a championship. But I didn't expect Clemson to be eliminated. And I didn't expect the Pac-12 to be eliminated and be eliminated this early. I didn't expect that. I don't think anybody could have expected that. With them going down, what that does, guys, that opens up a spot or a potential spot. So we start to go, yeah, you know what? Notre Dame would have forced their way into that potential spot. I have no doubt Notre Dame would have forced their way in. But guys, we're sitting here and we're going, all right, choosing time. Cincinnati just beat Notre Dame. Cincinnati is really looking like that powerhouse team now. Cincinnati just kicked the door open and said, yeah, no, we're going to be players here. We are going to be one of those teams that you got to pay attention to. We are going to be a team that probably should be in the Final Four. And that's a big, bold statement right there. But it's it's the defining win that you need on your schedule. When you are a cupcake team, and, and look, the reality is Cincinnati, this is who you are. When you're that kind of team, you, you need certain things to go your way. You can't just go undefeated. Again, the rules are not the same. For Cincinnati, you have to have a couple of things. First of all, have something entertaining that is more than just wins and losses. Well, Desmond Ritter is it. Desmond Ritter is a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate. He gives them that extra bonus. He gives them that boost. Well, we also need an undefeated team. All right, undefeated team, that goes without saying. Cincinnati loses one game, they're out of this thing. We also need some quality wins against top kind of conferences. It doesn't have to be top school yet, top conferences. All right, you go undefeated, you beat a top conference, I, I think people can pay attention to, eh, you still might be left off, right? Ask UCF. You still might be left off. Well, what if we go on the road and we beat one of those conferences, those power fives? All right. You still got to go undefeated. And you still might be left out. Wait a minute. What if we go on the road and we beat a power team and we beat them pretty handedly? Well, now all of a sudden you're a player. And that's what Cincinnati did today. Look, beating up on Murray State, Miami, Ohio, that didn't mean anything. You go on the road and you beat Indiana, an Indiana team that was actually pretty good last year, a Power 5 team, you're going to have people's attention. And Cincinnati did that last week. But the whole conversation was basically, yeah, can they hang with the big boys? And the big boys begin with Notre Dame. They went into Notre Dame, into South Bend today, had a massive, quick, early lead that they just didn't relinquish. Their defense stepped up and held the Notre Dame Fighting Irish to 13 points. Cincinnati's rest of their slate of games doesn't look too tough. Doesn't look too tough, guys. And I will tell you this. This is a brutal part of the schedule because all of a sudden, now they have to go on a short week to take on Temple, 
but it's it's Temple, right? So they get a win there. UCF seemed to be a player. That's their opponent the next week after that. But look, UCF went down this week as well. Uh, and all of a sudden, UCF doesn't look as strong. Navy's starting to look strong, but the talent level is massively different. Tulane's a decent team. Cincinnati will be favored there. Tulsa's a, a decent team. Cincinnati will be a 10-point-plus favorite there. USF is a bad team this year. SMU could score on anyone, and I guess that's their last opportunity there. But if you're undefeated, staring at a chance to potentially go to a playoff, and you're welcoming in on November 20th, SMU, I don't think Cincinnati loses that game. So, guys, I have Cincinnati sitting here, as I did before the year began. I have Cincinnati sitting here and going, you know, we are going to a playoff game. I think it's a tough thing because, like I said, not only do you have to do those things on your schedule and beat teams on your schedule and beat teams in spots on your schedule, you also need help. But they've gotten help. Look, you have the Power Five conferences. They have to make a spot for you to kind of wiggle in. The Power Five conferences have to sit back and have an area where you could get in. The ACC guys are effectively eliminated. And that is a, a big-time opening. They need a little help. Look, in the ACC, I say the ACC is eliminated. Look. You're not putting a one-loss ACC team in at, at, at who? Pittsburgh? VTech? You're not doing that. So there's really two teams left, North Carolina State and Wake Forest. Could Wake Forest go undefeated and force a conversation? Maybe. But if you're looking at an undefeated Clemson team, I'm sorry, an undefeated, uh, if you're looking at an undefeated Cincinnati team, but they have wins on the road against Indiana and on the road against Notre Dame. And you're comparing them to a Wake Forest team if they do go undefeated. Wake Forest schedule, Old Dominion, Norfolk, Florida State, all at home, on the road against Virginia, Louisville, Syracuse, Army, Duke, UNC, NC State, Clemson, BC. There's not that out-of-conference team. And really, UNC it really isn't who we thought they were. So it would be NC State and Clemson. you got to hope NC State continues to win. Guys, I think the committee takes Cincinnati over any ACC team right now. I really do. Even an undefeated Wake Forest team. I think they'll take Cincinnati. So what about, let's go take a, a quick peek at the Pac-12. Because I think the Pac-12 is also eliminated. The Pac-12, you look at overall, well, who, who do you have here? Are they going to take a UCLA team with one loss? I don't think so. How about a Utah team? Nah, probably not. Oregon goes down today. They're done. Oregon State? They take an Oregon State team? I, I, I don't see that happening either. So I think Cincinnati's forced their way into the conversation. You're going, okay, SEC, Big 12, Big 10, and us. The conversation's probably going to be, can the SEC squeak two teams in there? The SEC had a good team, a good game today. If you're talking about flexing your muscles, the SEC looked really good. If you want to talk about flexing your muscles today, Alabama does what Alabama does. And once again, Nick Saban is now 23. No, the, the, the guy doesn't lose to his assistants. 42, 21. 
this one was pretty much over. It was 28 nothing at the half. So don't even look at the score and think that they struggled. It was 28 nothing at the half. One of the highest totals on the board today at 79 and a half. The line went up to uh, and nice, easy under. And Alabama doesn't have the defense that they used to have. We get that. But Alabama, um, you know, they showed up today. They completely shut down Ole Miss for most of the game. This was not really that close, like I said. And Alabama is the number one team in the country. It's hard to argue that. Except if you're the number two team in the country and you are Georgia, who took on number eight Arkansas in a game where I saw a lot of guys, a lot of sports betters, a lot of talking heads all over Arkansas. This was going to be their year. This was going to be the year that, uh, you know, they do something incredible and they come out of nowhere. And how do you stop them? Well, Georgia had no problem stopping this team. 37 nothing blowouts. And, you know, it's an interesting thing where people, there are guys out there that, that follow line movements and that's how they handicap. Look, it's a piece of what I do, but not a big piece. And at TomBartonSports.com, I've, I've never been that guy, but I get the process. I understand what they're doing. Georgia was supposed to struggle with Arkansas. Every metric said that they were going to be close. The line was like 18 today. <laughs> so the sports books didn't think so, and it wound up coming to fruition. So, again, we're going to get into a position where would the committee decide to take a one-loss Georgia team or a one-loss Alabama team who lost to either Georgia or Alabama, would they decide to take that over the undefeated Cincinnati team? I think today's win over Notre Dame really put that into question. I still believe Cincinnati is in a position where they need help. I don't think that you can sit easy and feel comfortable if you're Cincinnati. But I think you're real close. I think that you put yourself into the conversation for a national championship today. A real shot at that field of four. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick timeout. We'll come on back. I want to talk about the team that won again. I think they're going to go undefeated, and they don't have a chance at a national championship. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about UNLV. And the rest of college football right after this on Heatwave Sports. All right, guys, welcome back. Heatwave Sports. I am Tom Barton, sitting in for Sing in solo here, not for him. It's usually the two of us, but he's not going to join us tonight. It's Tim Unglesby. He'll be back tomorrow night. I'm running solo. You guys can get in touch with me. It's at Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter, 876-1340. Look, we have a huge game tomorrow, right? Isn't there? There's more than one football game tomorrow, I think, but there is one game, and I am going to talk about that in about an hour or so. It is the most anticipated regular season game in the history of the NFL. We will get into that. But we're trying to wrap up a little college football here. Anybody that has that late game out on the island, well, Fresno State's up 21-10, to 10, about six minutes and change to go in the third quarter. I know I'm looking at this because you got Fresno, Fresno State about minus 10, 10 and a half, 11, depending on what, what your number was, which right on the number. Hawaii's kind of moving the ball down the field, though, so that number might not matter unless they get a stop here anyway. All right. So let's get back to the college football slate. And I said, you know, on the way back, look, there might be a team that goes undefeated and they have absolutely no chance at a national championship. And it's a shame, but it is the truth. And that is Coastal Carolina. 
And Coastal Carolina's team that I talked about many, many times, this was supposed to be today one of their tougher games, quote-unquote, with my air quotes on radio, right? That's effective. But this is supposed to be one of those games. They won 59-6. to six. Now, This is a team that I told you before the year, I'm betting on going undefeated. This is a team that has looked every bit as good as I thought they should. In the last week, they have outscored their opponents now 112-9. to nine. <laughs> they have scored 49 or more points in four of their first five games. And you start to look at this team and you go, there's just nothing they can do. There's nothing they can do. They're sitting at number 16. This win, and, and I know these are preseason odds but uh, uh, or rankings. This win might get them to, uh, you know, let's just say 14, may, maybe 13. You go out and you... You win against Appalachian State in two weeks. Well, that's a nice little win. Maybe that gets you to inside the top 10, maybe at 10. Then you finish off the season undefeated, beating up a con. Maybe they could get to eight. Maybe they can get to seven. In a, in a good situation, they might get to five. But the committee is just never taking them. They're just never taking them. And it's a shame. Uh, just some other quick scores here. We'll go through this rather quickly. Uh, Wake Forest does stay 5-0. They beat Louisville. I mentioned that 37-34. Again, Wake Forest offensively. Sam Hartman, 324 and two touchdowns. Looking real good. Wake Forest is a team. You can't sleep on them. And it's going to be you know them or NC State. And NC State gets a win. I took La Tech plus the uh, 19 and a half points there. But NC State came out with a victory in a perfect letdown spot. Auburn goes into LSU, into Death Valley, and gets a win. Max Johnson, 325 in that one. Oklahoma State holds court at home as a three-and-a-half-point favorite, and they beat Baylor. Michigan State handles uh, with really very little problem, and now they move to 5-0 and against Western Kentucky at home. Michigan State suddenly 5-0. and Texas A&M goes down at home, and Jimbo Fisher, yep, another disappointing season on his ledger. They go down at home. Jim Harbaugh goes 5-0, and goes into Wisconsin as a very small line on that game, and they really just had their way with Wisconsin, 38-17. All of a sudden, Michigan, Michigan State, 5-0, 5-0. Look, Rutgers lost, has been playing well. But you play in Ohio State, they lost huge, 52-13. Kentucky, for the first time in, I don't know, generations, it really it really is in generations, beats Florida. They win 20-13. to uh, They go to 5-0. and Very impressive team right now. Very impressive win right now. Oklahoma goes to 5-0. and in Manhattan, Kansas, in a game where I had K-State, it's been it was a back and forth game all the entire time. Uh, Spencer Rattler just he just doesn't look right for some reason. But look, they're five and zero, and they just keep moving on. Same thing with Penn State. Penn State shuts down Indiana twenty four nothing. They are five and zero. So you do have some teams out there that uh, you're starting to look at. And you're starting to go, should we take them serious? Should we pay attention to them? The other team in the Pac twelve that's playing right now is UCLA. The question was, should we pay attention to UCLA? Should we pay attention to UCLA? UCLA at home right now, guys? Yeah, they're losing 32-23 to Arizona State in the fourth quarter. I don't think that's the answer you wanted to hear if you're a UCLA fan. 
All right, let's jump over to a little UNLV talk here. Um, and, and I want to, because I do want to do a little bit baseball this hour as well before we get into the big NFL slate of games that is coming up tomorrow. And the biggest anticipated regular season game in the history of the NFL is coming up tomorrow. So let, let's talk a little bit about the UNLV Rebels because once again, it was another moral victory for them. They came in as a more than two touchdown, just about three touchdown underdog. They were hanging in there. They had an early lead. Their defense showed up, but they walked away with a 24-17 loss. Again, here we go. And, and you turn around and you go, okay, the quarterback threw, threw for 307, and they had some nice things working. Um, it, it's still, look, it's a 5-0 team. It's a road game. They, there's nothing much negative that you can talk about here with UNLV. You can't really turn around with UNLV and really break apart this game and come away with anything but, hey, UNLV played a good game. But they turned around with a loss again. You know, from the passing perspective, they looked good. They couldn't run the ball. But Charles Williams, 15 to 48, uh, he couldn't run the ball. And maybe that's something that you kind of nitpick, but they were able to throw it. So you pick your poison. Steve Jenkins, 114, right? Uh, Jensen had 62. Griffin had 48. Hey, you had a bunch of guys. You, you know, you're sitting there with five players with over 40 yards, five players uh, with five catches or more. Look, it looks good, right? You're having a, a good situation. You're having a good game. Where is the problem area here? You know, I, I will tell you, I, you're looking at the box score. The running game is what people will probably concentrate on. Guys, the UNLV Rebels were sacked six times today. Six times. Now, they all can't go on the offensive line. I get it. Uh, the kid probably held the ball a little bit too long today. I think I can confidently say that he held it a little too long. But the offensive line was a sieve. And in a game like this, I am not talking about this game in the respect of UNLV was a three-touchdown underdog. I'm not having that conversation. I'm having a conversation in another game where UNLV had a chance to win this game. It was a seven-point deficit here. A seven-point uh, you know, game where... It could have went either way the entire game. And I have to break this down and say, what was the problem, Mary? Why didn't they walk away with a win? I'm not telling you they didn't walk away with a win because, well, they couldn't run the ball. No, I'm not telling you they couldn't walk away with a win because, well, you know what? They were supposed to lose. The talent differential was so different on a three-touchdown underdog. No, I don't care. You got within seven points of a win. Where is the problem area? Offensive line is the problem area. So I can say something nice about UNLV all day long. A moral victory again here, guys. We're still standing here. You're still 0-5. Still 0-5, no matter how well you played against Fresno State. Eight-point loss. No matter how well you played against Eastern Washington. Two-point loss. No matter how well you played tonight, you're still sitting there. And you're still 0-5. So we, once again, we go to the board and, and has our opinion changed of UNLV. And where they could potentially get that winner. Where can they potentially turn around and put up that W? Well, next week is Utah State. Utah State is a team that uh, will have to come to Las Vegas. All right. Well, that helps. Utah State is a team that you look at and you go, they dropped two in a row. But they dropped two in a row against Boise State and BYU. The step up in competition is rather large. What I, don't, what I look at is they barely survived. Washington State by three, they won that game. They barely survived at Air Force. 
They've gone on the road here, barely survived, but two, put up two wins, and now they're, they've lost the last two. Call me crazy, guys. I'm looking at this team, and I'm going, they are, they are vulnerable. This is a team that UNLV could probably hang with. I can't have any faith, not, a, not an ounce of faith, unless they get that offensive line right. So UNLV, you know, I said that they would win about one game this year. I said one or two, but I really wanted to say zero because I didn't believe in what they were doing. Moral victories don't mean anything to me. Moral victories, are, are, I don't care. If you have a chance to win the game, you have a chance to win the game. And they had a chance to win this game. They were in it. They were close. This game was uh, a, a well-played game all around by UNLV, with the lone exception being the offensive line. And when you are breaking down, what do they need? What do they have to have to push this up? And what do they have to have to get into the conversation of, you know what? I think they could win next week. Got to get that offensive line straight. So I can't sit back and have a conversation here, guys. I can't do it about UNLV winning a game until they get that offensive line straight. But I don't think they're that far off. Last week, before last week's game, I sat down and I said, you know, I, I don't know if they win a game. I think I might be on that zero number instead of my one or two. Now I'm sitting here and I'm going, you know, before this game, I said, ah, I, I was there one moral victory. You got two moral victories. Moral victories don't mean much. I, I They really don't. Okay. But you can start to kind of change your frame of reference moving forward on what this team might be. They should have a shot to win next week. They should be on a team that's lost two straight in their wins. They haven't looked overly impressive. Maybe next week is the, the opportunity. From a handicapper's perspective, I'm looking at the game next week and I'm going, all right, well, nobody really gave respect to UNLV even after that quote-unquote moral victory last week. How much respect do handicappers give to them now and, and how much do the books give to them? They were a 20-point road underdog today against a, a pretty good Texas San Antonio team. They were 30-point underdog against Fresno State. Covered both of those huge lines, but walked away with zeros. So what do I think the line's going to be next week? You know, I, I, I think you have to really sit back and assess this team as they are still the underdogs. Even at home, even against a struggling Utah State team. They still have to be underdogs. And they still have to be kind of considerable underdogs. We're not talking about 20. We're not talking about two touchdowns. Uh, I, I don't know if we could get a line under 10. But I think that this game is probably a 9. Uh, it may, maybe it's right on the number 10. Which means you got a shot. Enough with the moral victories. Got to get into the win column. All right, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. We're going to talk a little bit of Major League Baseball and what kind of chaos we might have in 24 hours. Right after this on Heat Wave Sports. Guys, welcome back. It is Heat Wave Sports. I'm Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. We're going over everything in the world of sports, and it lands us to Major League Baseball. Don't worry, we are, we're going to talk about, yeah, I'm going to say it, the entire NFL slate, because there is more than one game going off tomorrow, although you might not know that. Uh, Tampa Bay, obviously, the return 
it's all anybody wants to talk about. And why not? Look, it's the most anticipated regular season game in the history of the NFL. We will get into that and go very in-depth with that next hour. But let's talk a little bit about Major League Baseball. And I know so many people have kind of turned themselves off on this. Okay, you know what? I'll wait till the playoffs. But you can't do that. Playoff games are tomorrow. It's just that simple. Playoff games are tomorrow for American League teams. Sure, the National League, they've already clinched it all up. They're setting their rotations. We're all looking at what's going to be and uh, kind of playoff positioning and who's going to be starting there. Yeah, that's all on to next week. And you have the Astros and the White Sox and the Rays, and they're, they're sitting there. They know they're in. We get There's still the idea of the wild card. And this can get really wild this year. There's an opportunity. There, there is a chance here. If you're a fan of chaos, and normally I am a fan of chaos, all of a sudden we can have massive chaos. We can have a four-team tie for the wild card. And if that does happen, the, the teams would be phased as one, two, A, B, C, and D. Okay? They would um, play each other at home or a road, it would be a coin flip. There would be seeding, and it would get pretty wild, basically, where, you know, two teams are going to play each other, and then the other two teams, and then the winner of that team. So we could have not 163 games. We could be going 164, 165. I mean, that could be the insanity that ensues tomorrow. We're talking about Yankees, Red Sox, Mariners, and Jays, and where it stands right now, Okay, the Yankees have one game left against Tampa Bay tomorrow. The Red Sox at Washington tomorrow. Mariners against the Angels and the Blue Jays against the Baltimore Orioles. Currently, right now, the New York Yankees and Boston Red Sox are both 91 and 70. They are tied. They are one game up on the 90 and 71 Seattle and Toronto Blue Jays. So it's pretty simple. Look, the New York Yankees win tomorrow. And this has been now for two days because the Yankees have back to back losses getting their butts handed to them today. The New York Yankees, with a win tomorrow, still clinch a playoff berth. But they've effectively lost that home game in the playoffs unless Boston loses tomorrow. So the Yankees have to win to get into the playoffs. The Yankees have to win and hope that Boston loses to get a home playoff game. Boston also controls its own destiny. Right, The Red Sox own the tiebreaker of the Yankees, so they can earn that top wild card spot. And really, if the Red Sox win, they're in. So if the Yankees can beat Tampa Bay, which they haven't been able to do in two, two games, and the Red Sox can beat Washington, it'll be Yankees-Red Sox one-game playoff. It'll be uh, both of them making the, the playoffs, and you're going to be looking at that up in Fenway Park. You're also going to be looking at, at that without Chris Sale on the mound because Chris Sale is going to be pitching tomorrow. And you're also going to be looking at the opportunity that the Yankees do put Garrett Cole there uh, because Garrett Cole's not pitching tomorrow. And Corey Kluber's not pitching tomorrow. So Jameson Tyon will be getting the nod for tomorrow. The Mariners and the Blue Jays, here's how they stay alive. Look, Seattle needs some help, right? And the Blue Jays need some help. 90 victories, they're a game out, basically. They need the Yankees or Red Sox to lose to have a prayer. That's what is, is going to have to happen. Yankees or Red Sox lose, or the Yankees and the Red Sox lose. You open up the door just enough for the Mariners and Blue Jays to kick it down. And one of them absolutely has the opportunity to do so. By the way, the Blue Jays are uh, throwing out basically their ace tomorrow, the Mariners, 
look, they just keep on fighting against the Angels, and they're at home. So you start to look at what should happen. Well, the Yankees should have won the last two games. And Aaron Boone uh, should be out on his, you know what, after this, because this team gave away a game two nights ago. Two nights ago, I know the offense wasn't working. Two nights ago, I get it. But they brought in a, a guy that they sent down immediately afterwards in Abreu and asked about it afterwards. And Aaron Boone basically said, well, you know, a lot of these guys are tired. Uh, and, and we've been through a grind. So, I mean, in not so many words, he said, yeah, we took the game off. I wanted to get some guys some rest in the middle of a playoff race. I mean, what kind of lunacy is this? Aaron Boone should be fired for that by by itself. This is a, a disaster for the Yankees. A Yankee team that Aaron Judge has put on his back and, and look, and Giancarlo Stanton. So, and those are some big backs and carry these teams. DJ LeMahieu is banged up. He's going to need surgery. Um, he's out. Glaber Torres today just forgot to run. Yeah, why? It's not like it's a playoff game, right? A, a tough atmosphere. Uh, Gary Sanchez is once again not even hitting his weight because he's bigger than 200. And, and he's looking like a disaster out there. Luke Voigt was lost for the season. Yankees pitching can't get it right. Yankees are a mess. A mess right now. You ever see a tin cup when they turn around and, and they're having a conversation and he says, I feel like it's an unfolded lawn chair. Yet yeah, that's the Yankees, man. They're a mess right now. But with being a mess, here's the reality. If the Yankees win tomorrow, they're one of the most dangerous teams in the league. They're one of the most dangerous teams in the playoffs. Because if the Yankees win tomorrow, they send the potential Cy Young winner, Garrett Cole. I know he hasn't looked great yet uh, here at the end, but they send Garrett Cole to the mound for a one-game playoff over a guy probably like Nate Ivaldi. The Yankees are dangerous. You start to get into a position where Judge and Stanton are hot, which they are right now. The Yankees become very, very dangerous. But they've got to get a win. you got to get a win over a Tampa Bay team that doesn't care. They, they don't care about tomorrow. It doesn't matter to them. So you have to get that kind of win in that spot. But they should have gotten that today. Should have got it two days ago. Red Sox, well, Red Sox are throwing out Chris Sale. Red Sox are the only team that's on the road, so they're not going to be doing it at Fenway. But they know, look, if we win, not only are we in, but we're also hosting a game up in Fenway. Red Sox got to be all good about that. Again, another team that has fizzled of late the last week or so. They haven't looked too good. But another dangerous team. Because if you get out of that round, if they, you're able to win tomorrow and then beat the Yankees in Fenway, now you start to potentially set it up where you're going to have Chris Sale. You're going to have Evaldi. You're, you're going to have this team in a dangerous spot. I could say the same thing about the Blue Jays and Mariners. If the Yankees or Red Sox falter and the Mariners and Blue Jays grab that spot, look, who's hotter than the Mariners right now? No one's talking about them. I get it. But who's hotter than the Mariners right now? Young kids playing above their head, going out there and getting crazy. And it's the same thing with the Blue Jays. Is there a team... In the playoffs right now, is there a team in, in all of baseball that want to face the lineup that that the Blue Jays are going to throw out there? I mean, it's going to be absolutely pandemonium. It's going to be a crazy lineup that the Blue Jays march out there day in and day out. Well, their pitching isn't where you want it to be, but they do have maybe the Cy Young winner going number one overall, and he would potentially start that one-game playoff you know, you have Ryu, who hasn't looked great, but 
we know the greatness that is inside him, what he can be. So there could be a four-way tie. Chaos ensues. Everybody gets crazy. I don't think it's happening. I don't think we're getting the Yankees and Red Sox to lose tomorrow. Can one of them lose? Sure. Mariner fans, Jays fans, Yankees haven't looked good. Red Sox are fizzling down the stretch as well the last week or so. I can see one of them losing, giving that opportunity for the Mariners or the Jays. I, absolutely, I can see that. I can see a, a situation where there's one game playoff to get into, but I, there's a million things that can happen tomorrow. But my point in having this conversation is while it's fun, and it is, it's fun to imagine a four-way playoff. It's fun to imagine a game 163, a game 164, heck, a game 165. That is all fun. That's interesting. This could could be exciting for baseball. I Listen, I want to sit around Monday afternoon and watch this craziness, right? I want to sit around. I As a Yankee fan, I just want the Yankees to get in, Red Sox to lose, and then let's get some crazy. I, there's a million things going on, but my point is, is that I don't look at these teams as the normal wild card team. I don't look at these teams as those kind of pushover, throw it away wild card teams. I think they're all very, very capable of going out there and beating the Rays in a series. I think they're very capable of going out there and beating Houston in a series. And I think they're more than capable of going out there and beating the White Sox in a series. For sure. The Blue Jays lineup has to terrify anybody. Has to. By the way, Vlad, Vlad needs one more home run uh, to lead the league in home runs. Sal Perez coming out of nowhere. Get get rid of this guy. I, I mean, come on. We want to see Vlad win the home run title and have a conversation about the uh, MVP for the next couple of weeks, right? I mean, don't we want that? But the Blue Jays they are a team that is, they're massively dangerous. Let's not overlook the danger level of the Blue Jays if they get into the playoffs. So this isn't just eh, a team that kind of backs in and it's a nice little story. No, no, no. The Blue Jays very potentially, you can argue, and I would argue, have the best lineup in, in all of baseball. Right? The best lineup. They have a true ace on the mound, Robbie Ray. If Garrett Cole doesn't win the Cy Young, it's Robbie Ray's to lose. I mean, it. it it, he is a Cy Young, so they have a true ace, and they have a devastating lineup behind them. If they do, quote-unquote, back in, or can get into the tournament, they're a dangerous, dangerous out. The Mariners as well. There might not be a lot of home, uh, uh, or nationwide kind of talented names, but homegrown, they know these names. Jared Kelnick, who was the number one prospect, he looks every bit as good as we thought Seattle was going to look. Seattle might not have that ace, but they got a lot of guys that can fill that spot, keep them in it. Uh, Mitch Haniger, 39 bombs, guys. Anybody know that Mitch Haniger is having that kind of season? So the Mariners are another team, and they're red hot. I don't know if there's a team hotter than them right now, okay? So the Mariners are a team that you look at and you take uh, assessment of and you go, all right. The Blue Jays have the best lineup and a true ace. The Mariners might not have the best lineup or a true ace. They are the hottest team in baseball outside the Cardinals right now. You don't want to play them. And then, of course, the Red Sox and the Yankees, like I said, they're both very tough outs. Very tough outs that if it sets up the right way, you know, you got to face Sale and Cole in big spots. So the chaos is going to be fun. And the chaos tomorrow, uh, I know it's going to get lost in the NFL. I understand that. It's going to get lost with everybody betting the NFL and watching it. And you go into a sports book, 
you're going to have every TV on the NFL and maybe like one TV in the bottom left corner that has like that black mark through it or it's like a little hazy green. Yeah, then one of those is going to be in the back corner and that's going to be playing a little baseball. But I'm telling you, don't discount what can happen tomorrow because it could be fun. Now, it might be Yankees win easily, march all over, and then you take away some of the excitement level. It might be that Boston does the same thing. And it's, uh, you know, 8 nothing, 8 nothing in the third inning. Sure, it might be that. But the reality is, guys, that it's going to get lost in the shuffle. But we could have total chaos. We could have a situation where tomorrow night we are talking about game 163, game 164. How is this going to shake out? Let's talk about the scenarios. And we have a four-way tie. I don't think it does. I think the Yankees finally do take care of business tomorrow. I think the Yankees take care of their business just like the Red Sox take care of their business. I think we have Yankees-Red Sox one-game playoff in Fenway. But it is fun to have the conversation that we can, in just a few hours, have massive chaos in Major League Baseball. All right, guys, we're going to take our... Final time out of this hour, hour number two. We're coming back here on Heatway Sports talking about the greatest anticipated regular season game in history. Does it lose any juice that Gronk won't be there? Yeah, I don't think so. It's always been about Brady. Gronk is a nice story, but it's been about great Brady, guys. We're going to talk about that and the rest of the NFL slate right after this on Heatwave Sports. All right, guys, welcome back. It is Heat Wave Sports. I'm Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com, sitting in solo here tonight. Tim Unglesby has the night off. He will be joining us tomorrow on a little pressing business of his own over there. So we're going to talk to him tomorrow night. By the way, tomorrow night, another Super Sunday show. It's a two-hour Super Sunday show. Going to go over everything in the world of sports. But now we're going to preview everything in the NFL. Guys, by the way, TomBartonSports.com, been red hot again. Finished off the baseball season. Uh, well, I'll be finishing off. I don't have a play tomorrow. Just at, at, look, at this point where we are talking in, uh, you know, handicapper lexicon speak, percentages don't always mean much. Um, people go out there and you go, ah, oh, you know, I'm going to throw, a, I'm 100%, I'm 97.2. You know, we. I've, I've never done that. In a decade, and I've been on the air here for more than a decade, I've sat back and I've told you guys all the time exactly what I'm about. I have a monitoring service uh, that that two, actually, that follow me independently. I, I don't know them. I have nothing to do with them. Look, I just go out there and put up my games. You guys want to follow along at TomBartonSports.com. It is absolutely 100% worth your money just because of the sheer volume. Look, I give you know one or two plays a day. Today, I put up a five-back, five games on a college football weekend. Five games. You're going to get every single month, you're going to get 60 or more plays. I charge 100 bucks. There's no upselling. There's no no one's calling you ever. No one's harassing you. No, there's no emails. Just go to the website, get your games, and go about your day. Major League Baseball, I ended off Major League Baseball at 64% winning streak. It's 64%. For the season, talking about 82, 46, and 2. 
NFL, 63% I am right now. College football, closing in on 70% with one game pending right here. Uh, about 68, 69% right now. This will push me right into that, that 70% uh, range. That's college football. So you look back, at, go even. College basketball had a great season, 74%. You got uh, 74% in the NHL. College basketball, 63%. Guys, you're getting a handicapper that's hitting over 60% consistently year after year after year. That's TomBartonSports.com. Go check it out. All right. Let's get into the NFL because there's a lot to do here. Let's get right down into it. And, and we're going to start we're gonna start with a game that just has a lot of injuries. And that's where I want to start with this. We're going to talk about the Jets and the Titans. Titans are about a seven-point favorite. And everyone's going, man, you know, how can they be such a low favorite? Well, uh, A.J. Brown is out. Julio is going to be out. The New York Jets are a team that, look, they're playing at home. And as bad as they have looked, and they have looked bad, they've lost by 50 points in the first three weeks of the season. They've allowed 15 sacks, okay? The Jets have scored only 20 points through three games. That's the fewest through three great games in franchise history since 1976, okay? This is a team that looks bad. We get it. But Tennessee has a bad defense. I don't think anybody is out here arguing that Tennessee's defense is even competent. They are a bad defense, and now they are very, very banged up. The thing with having guys like Brown and Julio as your one-two is your depth gets real thin real fast. And their depth at wide receiver is really, really thin, guys. It is just not a good situation uh, for the Titans tomorrow. And you go, well, it, it, it's just going to be Derrick Henry. Yeah, they're going to stack the box. And normally, I would be sitting there and going, you know, Jets might have some success. The Jets' defense actually doesn't look bad. The Jets' defense actually is pretty good on the season. They are, are really putting some uh, big-time defensive numbers up, but they also lost you, what I think you could call maybe their team captain on the defensive side, and Marcus May, he's going to be out of this game. Guess what Marcus May does? He plays safety. Guess what they would normally be doing? Moving the safety to stop Derrick Henry. So it's a matchup nightmare for the, the Tennessee Titans when you go, oh, man, we got nobody to throw the ball to. But you know what? Marcus May isn't there, so they couldn't run it into the box. And forget about the idea of being able to run it into the box, uh, you know, against an eight-man front. It should be against a nine and a ten-man front at this point. Derek Henry, yeah, they are the road favorite now for the tenth time since 2019. When they are road favorites, Derek Henry averaged 147 rushing yards and five games with multiple rushing scores. He's a beast, man, and he is going to have the Derrick Henry game tomorrow or he's going to go up against a brick wall in the Jets, and the, that's the way the Jets win. That's the way the Jets cover. I think it almost has to be a that Ryan Tannehill type of game. I think Ryan Tannehill has to spread it around and really sit back and, and find his spots and find his areas um, to be able to really kind of convince people, you know what, this team can do more than just, oh, cool, we made the playoffs in a terrible division and be knocked out. All right, another game with big-time implications on the injury front. And I'm talking about Panthers, Cowboys. Cowboys are the small favorite. They're about four-point favorite at home against the Panthers. Look, I would be all over the Panthers in this spot, all over them. The Panthers are 6-0 against the spread as the last six as a road uh, underdog. They are 3-0 against the spread. By the way, Dallas is also 3-0 against the spread, right? You look at the Panthers. They lead the NFL in sacks. They lead the NFL in quarterback hits. The Panthers rank number one in average passing yards allowed. They rank number one in third down efficiency against. This team absolutely 
absolutely has the defense that I've been talking about them stepping up. Matt Rule is the coach that I keep talking about and saying he's the next guy. This defense and this team getting points in this spot, I should be all over. But they lost some guys. They lost J.C. Horn last week, their special cornerback, and they had to go trade for a cornerback because they lost him. They lost another defensive player that is a, a pretty good player. And they lost Christian McCaffrey. And when Chuba Hubbard came in there, guys, he, he didn't look too good. Let's just be honest. He, he did not look too good. This now becomes a Sam Darnold team. Now, look, Dallas' defense ranks 29th in the league in sacks. They only pressured him four times. They only got four sacks. And 31st in average passing yards allowed. 331. So if you're looking for a defense that Darnold could take apart, here it is, right? The Cowboys, though, are in a weird spot where they're almost a methodical team, right? They are running really effectively. After throwing it 58 times with 403 yards in the opening game against Tampa Bay, the Cowboys now run for 198, 160 yards. They're going to run the ball. And when you run the ball, you put a lot of pressure on that quarterback to make the most of every single opportunity that they have out there. And every single opportunity that they have means, you know what? You're going to be sitting there at Sam Dalton and go, we got to get points here. We got to get points on every single drive, every single possession. We are going to need some points. I think it's a tough spot to take Carolina. I'm not taking Dallas. I mean, to me, this is a Carolina or nothing lean. I'm not taking Dallas. But this is certainly a spot that you look at and you go, those injuries, they're, they're, they're something I, I need to watch. You know, McCaffrey's going to get all the credit. But being out J.C. Horn and going up against Dallas defense, that uh, Dallas offense, I'm sorry, that features Cooper and C.D. Lamb and all of the position and weapons on the outside and the effective running game, which means you're not going to get a lot of safety help over the top, especially in that two-deep zone. I, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm going – I understand why Dallas is the favorite situational spot. You got to love Carolina, but it's very hard to take in this spot. All right, let's talk about Chiefs Eagles. The prevailing thought here is the Chiefs, you know what? Look, they're not losing three in a row, right? They are not losing three in a row. Kansas City is a six and a half or a seven point favorite. They are not losing three in a row. But you know what? There was a lot of talk of they aren't losing two in a row, okay? There was a lot of that conversation. They don't lose, they're not losing two in a row. And guess what? They did. Kansas City, by the way, they also, they just don't cover. Kansas City is 0-4 in the last four games as a favorite. Kansas City is 1-5 in the last six as a road favorite. Kansas City has covered four games since last October. They are 0-3 against the spread this year. This is a Chiefs defense that has allowed 95 points so far this year. The Chiefs blitz at the fifth highest rate in the NFL but they have the 27th pressure rate, which means they're blitzing all day and they still can't get to the quarterback. That quarterback is going to be Jalen Hurts. And a lot of this conversation has to be, does anybody believe in Jalen Hurts? And what do we believe in Jalen Hurts? Well, that is really the determining factor here. Matt, Patrick Mahomes going up against a defense that this defense is, is a lot better. A lot better than what they looked certainly on Monday night, but they are a lot better. I, I, I don't believe fully in them yet, but they are a lot better. Patrick Mahomes is going to go out there and he's going to get his points, regardless of who this is. He's going to get his points. He's going to go out there. He's going to have a decent game. Kelsey's going to be there. Tyreek Hill. We, we know what the Chiefs are going to do offensively. It is the other side of the ball that's going to determine if they cover or not, or if they win the game or not. First of all, you're going on the road. You take it on Jalen Hurts. What has bothered Kansas City in recent history here, defensively, they can't stop mobile quarterbacks, and Jalen Hurts is a mobile quarterback. 
Uh, Jalen Hurts has some talents on the outside. Smith and Rager are fast. Then if you start covering those guys on the outside, under the middle, you know, you got Zach Ertz, you, you got Dallas Goddard. They have some weapons that has to make you nervous as a, if you're betting the Chiefs or if you're a Chiefs fan. has to make you nervous, right? The Eagles, by the way, they're playing, uh, they're 4-1 outright in the past five when playing on a short week. They're playing that short week. I don't, I don't think that that's going to affect them that much, right? This is a young team going to kind of just jump right back out there. There are so many advantages for the Chiefs here. The advantages of, yeah, they got the coach, they have the offense, they have the quarterback, but their defense is really bad this year. I mean, really bad. And when you are a really bad defense, laying a touchdown on the road is just a bad spot. I think Kansas City wins. I mean, I can't go against it here. I think Kansas City wins, and it's probably a good situation. And the, the Chiefs laying a touchdown might look silly tomorrow. That's one of those games that can make you look silly if you don't take. Ah, you know what? They wound up winning by uh, uh, 41 to 10. I mean, it can be. But we know that the Chiefs just don't cover. Four covers since last October is not a fluke, guys. They don't cover. What would this line be if it wasn't the Chiefs? If this was this team playing this way with these stats, what would this line be? It certainly wouldn't be a touchdown on the road. All right, let's take a look at the Giants and the Saints. Saints are about a touchdown now. You know, this creeped up to about eight and a half over the course of the week. And now it's settled back down to a full touchdown. The Saints are dealing with some injuries of their own. Uh, but the New York Giants lost Blake Martinez, their best defensive player. And this is a matchup nightmare here because you're going up against Alvin Kamara with the screen passes and the short passes that your middle linebacker is supposed to be the guy. Blake Martinez is supposed to be the guy. Now they're going to have a backup there. That's interesting. By the way, New Orleans, they returned to the Superdome. The Saints have not been there because of Hurricane Ida. I think that place is going to be really, really loud, right? I mean, come on. We know that. Over the last seven games, the Giants are 2-5 and five against the spread. The Saints are 10-4 and four over the last 14. I don't care how they're getting it done because they're certainly not getting it done with passing yards. The Saints are dead last in passing yards. Um, but what they are getting it done with is the defense that no one's paying attention to. The defense that ranks number one in the NFL in points allowed, number two in the NFL in yards allowed since week four of last season. So this isn't a one-year thing. Marshawn Lattimore's been banged up, but he looks real good. Guys, this is a, a spot where everyone's expecting Saquon Barkley to kind of go crazy and have his breakout game. And, and I'm sitting back and I'm going, you know, I don't see it against this Saints defense. This Saints defense is pretty incredible. I, I don't need Jameis Winston tomorrow, if I'm a Saints fan, to be uh, fantastic. And he hasn't been. Uh, he hasn't thrown for 200 yards yet, right? He hasn't been. But you just need him to be effective. And maybe this is the Taysom Hill kind of package type of game. Maybe that's where we're going with this. Because the Saints right now sitting here at a touchdown. I know that the Giants have played well, and they're better than people give them credit for. That Blake Martinez injury is just not getting the recognition that I think that it should. All right, let's talk Browns, Vikings. This one is about a pick em. It's flopped back and forth where, you know, the Browns are about a favorite. And in most spots, I expected some heavy volume coming in on Cleveland, even though they're on the road. And, you know, this boosted up to about two and a half in some spot. Look, at circuits, it's a pick em right now, right? Around around town, you could find a couple of win bet. It's a pick em. There's a couple of pick ems. If not, it's minus one to the Browns. Vikings are at home. And the Vikings can make a very compelling argument that they should be two and one. I, I, could you make the argument that they're three and all? I mean, if they had a kicker, right? 
The Browns, by the way, before you jump on them, they are missing their left tackle. They are missing their starting cornerback. They are dealing with injuries, which you can hear is the theme so far. The Vikings are 2-1 and one against the spread this season. Yeah, they're 2-1 and one against the spread. Uh, they, you could argue they should be 3-0. I mean, they, they played really well. Kirk Cousins, since the end of last year, has played really well. Cleveland is 4-0 gets the spread after straight-up win. Cleveland's 5-1 in the last six road games. But are they those numbers with a missing left tackle, with a missing cornerback? No, they're not. And I think that you can't turn around and just kind of brush that under the rug. I think you've got to turn around and look at that and say, how much are these injuries going to affect them? And then the big injury is Dalvin Cook. Yeah, Madison's a, a fine backup, right? He's an okay backup player. But Dalvin Cook is the man. Hey, you are missing your best player. Sorry, that's a concern. That's a major worry. So injuries littered in this game. Let's talk about Bears, Lions. Oh, boy. I mean, do we have to at this point? It's a three-point spread. Chris wins, Lions, and, and my Bears. And I hate to say it, my Bears, but I'm embarrassed of my coach. I'm embarrassed of the coach that at this point you go, it's just not working. Right? I mean, it's just not working. The Bears were terrible under Mitch Trubinsky. The Bears' offense was terrible under the hand-picked Nick Foles. The Bears were terrible under Chase Daniels. The Bears were terrible this year under Andy Dalton. The Bears' offense is terrible under Justin Fields. And we go, well, you know what? Those guys stunk. I told you for years Mitch Trubinsky was okay. I told you for years Mitch Trubinsky was actually a decent quarterback. You starting to believe me now? Because Matt Nagy doesn't have a clue what he's doing. Matt Nagy is so unbelievably lost. It's it's ridiculous. Justin Fields was sacked nine times last game. Now you can blame the offensive line. You can blame Justin Fields holding the ball. Look, pre-draft, I sat back and I said one of the reasons I didn't like Justin Fields was because he held the ball too long. I, I, I've heard it. I've said it many times. But Matt Nagy, you got to design a game plan that gives you more than 48 yards. You got to design a game plan that gets the best of the athleticism of Justin Fields. Look, I sat back and screamed for years. Why isn't Mitch Trubisky running the ball? The guy had some wheels. Well, we're in the same position here with Justin Fields. Yeah, his completion rate was terrible. It was minus 28%. That's the lowest in the game since Nate Peterman. Yeah, since Nate Peterman in 2018. I don't care. Okay, I don't care. Rex Ryan came out and said, you know, uh, they had 20 throws 13 times. It was a five-man protection. He said, Rex Ryan said, I wouldn't even do that to Brady. I wouldn't trust Brady with only a five-man protection. It's Rex Ryan. Okay? That's Rex Ryan, guys. So the Lions are playing feisty. The Lions are a tough team. The Lions are tough out, but they find ways to lose. And I don't want to talk about that 66-yard field goal, and that's the way the Lions lost. Look, Hollywood Brown dropped two touchdowns. They should have gotten blown out in that game also. Now, the Lions are a feisty team. They're going to play tough. Bears are at home. Here it is. I mean, the reality of it is this. If you're going out there and you're betting the Bears, you're betting that Matt Nagy sees and realizes, I have a special talent in Justin Fields, and just unleashes him. If you're going out there and you're betting Detroit, you're hoping, you know, what is the same old Matt Nagy? You're hoping that Matt Nagy still is just that terrible coach. <laughs> he certainly might be, guys. He certainly might be. I, I can't bet the Bears at all. Uh, I don't like the Lions who can't go into Chicago and win, going outdoors, playing that defense, and that defense might win this alone. Look, I remember I remember the years where Tillman and Hester and Erlock, they were the offense. 
We, we would just go, oh, no, the offense is on the field. Just, just don't do anything stupid. Don't worry. We'll pick it off and run it the other way. Or, or we'll get a kick return. I think we're back. That's right. You're back with the Bears. All right, let's talk Texans, Bills. Biggest line on the board. This opened up at 17 and a half. That's a ridiculous number. That's a ridiculous number. This opened up to 17 and a half. It's still, at circuit, it's still 17 and a half. But you could find 16 and a halfs around town. And that's where you got to go if you're going with the Bills. But look, you know me. I cannot take a double-digit favorite in the NFL. But if there was a spot, this might be it, right? Josh Allen just went off for 358 and four touchdowns. They put 43 points up on a good Washington team. They've now outscored their opponents and, and put up 78 points the last two games. This is the Bills team that I picked to win the Super Bowl. This is the Bills team that I'm watching, right? Um, Davis Mills walks in, his first road start. He just put up nine points against Carolina. Do you think that they're going to do anything here? No. But how can you lay 17 points? You just can't. Look, the Bills have allowed under 180 passing yards per game. That's fourth best in the NFL. And Davis Mills is going to be throwing all day. The one thing you can say about the Texans and how they're feisty in this, it, it, they run the ball, right? You got Ingram and you got Johnson and you got Lindsey back there. They can run the ball. Well, you're not running the ball because you're going to be down so many points here to the Bills. You ain't running the ball. Are you kidding me? By the way, found an interesting stat. So in their last nine games where they blew teams out by two touchdowns, right? The Bills are actually 7-1-1 one, one against the spread. Somebody's looking for a reason to go out there and take this big-time uh, big spread. That might be your reason right there. All right, let's take a quick timeout. We're going to come on back. When we do, we're going to finish up the NFL slate of games, including, oh, yeah, we are going to talk about the return. Just going to spend some time on that right after this on Heat Wave Sports. All right, guys, welcome back. Heat Wave Sports. I'm Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com, and we are talking the NFL here, going through all the games, and let's bring it up to another big-time injury game. Dolphins are a two-point favorite at home against the Colts. Man, I got to tell you, the Colts are all banged up. They're missing five starters today. Carson Wentz apparently is playing on two bad ankles. Uh, Quentin Nelson, who's got a 75.5% run block rate, which is first in the NFL, and his 95% pass block rate, is third in the NFL uh, overall. He's out. So uh, this team is massively banged up. Wentz looked bad. He was 19 of 37 for 194 last game. The Dolphins' defense is good, right? The Dolphins' defense is very good, but you could run on them. They are not good at stopping the run, and you, you know that this is going to be a Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines kind of game. Jacoby Brissett's on the center for them. But, uh, you know what? Dolphins run on 11-0 run in the fourth quarter last week to force overtime, and the Dolphins and Jacoby Brissett looked pretty good. They looked better than Tua and the Dolphins at that point. Miami 12-2 against the spread the last 14 games following a loss. Miami 6-1 against the spread the last seven home games, and they're back home here. Um, you know, look, Brissett was sacked six times the past two games, and the Dolphins have given up 10 sacks in three games this year. I think a lot of living in the backfield here for both teams. I think uh, you're going to have a lot of low passing numbers, lots of running here. This is a game where it screams the under, and it dropped from 45 to 42 for exactly that reason. It screams the under, but have they set the number at, at just you can't go near it because it's too low at 42? Maybe this is that scare factor because I'm looking at this game and I'm seeing, you know, 
24-17 right there. Right there. Right? It's right there. All right, Washington Falcons. This was a pick for most of the week. Washington is now a one-point favorite. Uh, Antonio Gibson a little bit banged up, but looks like he's probably going to play. Watch out for news on that. The Falcons last week pulled out an improbable win in a weird fashion where their defense looked good, or did the Giants' offense look bad? I mean, I guess you have to ask that. They have some playmakers. It's just a matter of can they get the ball to the playmakers. The Falcons are 8-2 against the spread with teams with a losing record. Washington, guys, worst in the NFL in converting on third down. They do have a young rookie quarterback coming off of an absolute beating. Well, he's not a rookie, but Taylor Haneke coming off of a beating last week. Now has to go on the road in a tough spot to play in Atlanta. But Washington is more talented. The question is, when is this Washington defense going to look like Washington's defense that we've seen? When is this Washington defense going to step up and look like that team that was in the playoffs last year? That team that I thought was going to be something important this year. I thought was going to win this division. I picked them to win the division. Where is this defense? Where is Chase Young? Where is Landon Collins? Where are they? They're certainly not playing right now. This should be the defense game. This should be the Washington uh, football team statement game. We'll see if it pans out that way. You know, I, I understand there's a lot of reasons here to like Atlanta. I get it. By the way, if you guys are betting that late game, and I did, I I had Fresno State. I'm 4-0 right now looking at Fresno State. They had a, a pretty large lead, um, 10 penalties for 120 yards. They are down by three with about five minutes to go on the island down over there in Hawaii. All right, Seahawks, Niners, let's talk about it. Niners are three-point favorite, and it's calmed down. I, I know a lot of people are on the Seahawks here, and for some good reasons. The over by over or under, by the way, 52 and a half. Look, the Niners are banged up. George Kittle is banged up, questionable to play in this game. We know about the, the running backs all over the field here for the Niners. And Seattle and Russell Wilson seem to own the Niners. Wilson is 15-4 against the Niners. Less 19 meetings over that span. 15-4, the 13-5-1 against the spread. Okay, uh, the Niners during Kyle Shanahan's tenure, 13, 19 and one at home, 5, 12 and one against the spread as a home favorite. They don't do well in this spot. This is an anti San Francisco spot. But the reality is this. Look, Seattle just doesn't look good, right? I, I mean, they, they we knew their defense was going to be an issue and it, it certainly is a screaming issue. But their offense is weirdly not producing like I think that they should. Metcalf isn't crushing. Look, Lockett is. Um, last week, Chris Carson had under 50 yards rushing. Yeah, he got a touchdown, but they're not running the ball effectively. They're not spreading the field effectively. Their defense is playing poorly. So all the metrics say, yes, yeah, Seattle should win this game. He, uh, Wilson owns them. But it wasn't it different teams? Weren't, weren't they different type of teams? By the way, um, you want to uh, trend here. Jimmy Garoppolo starts games badly. First quarter. Uh, they're they just not very good. First quarter points per game, tied for 23. 32nd in first quarter, you know, top top portion of the game. They, they don't start off good. San Francisco gets off to a hot start there. This could be an interesting one. All right, Cardinals at Rams. Yeah, let's break down this game because this is a good one. The Rams are a six-point favorite. It's down to four. And it seems like the world is on the Cardinals. But the Rams are the team coming off of that huge win. The Rams are the team that I fully expected the public to absolutely back here and to jump all over this game. 
and they're not. The Cardinals are getting a lot of love. So this is a Kyler Murray. I'm impressed with the Cardinals. Look, I wasn't that impressed when I watched them against Jacksonville last week. You know, I get it. There was a 109 kickoff return uh, touchdown, uh, which made the game seem a little bit closer. But the Cardinals struggled in the first half against that defense, weirdly. Kyler Murray didn't go crazy, didn't ball out against Jacksonville. And maybe there was a look-ahead spot to the Rams here, very potentially. But I don't like that early on. I don't like the look. The Rams, I couldn't be more impressed. I couldn't be more impressed with what they did against Tampa Bay. Um, Tampa Bay's got its problems. Their defense is certainly not where you want it to be, but you can't take anything away from the Rams. Here's the thing with this game. Look, the Rams, and this is more coaching than matchup problems, the Rams coaches just absolutely have their way with Arizona. The Rams are 8-0 since McVay took over. Okay? Absolutely crushed them. Not only are they 8-0 since they've taken over, uh, the Cardinals are 0-7-1 against the spread against the Rams in the last eight meetings. They, they, they just own them. King, since Kingsbury's taken over, he's 0-4 against McVay. So the coaching matchup is fantastic. And not only that, look at what the Rams do to Murray, right? The biggest weapon on the field is Kyler Murray. He only averages 11 yards per rushing per game, which is underneath his 41 yards per rushing per game average. Averages 3.5 yards per carry against the Rams. Well, almost six against the rest of the league. Averages under 200 yards passing. He's thrown four interceptions. They just absolutely make him nuts. And the Rams, by the way, one of the best bets out there. I think we know it, and it's just still not getting enough credit. The Rams are 40-0 when leading at the half, guys. 40-0. If they're leading at the half, go bet them. Go bet McVay. It's one of the best uh, gifts that you could have. The Packers and Steelers. Packers are at home, and the line is falling. Packers have gone from 7-6, to six and Steelers' money is coming in. You have to go wide. The Steelers are banged up. Ben Roethlisberger looks done. Pittsburgh's 3-7 in the last uh, 10. 3-7 and seven against the spread in the last 10. They look terrible. You know, and you go, what are we doing? You know, is everybody backing up to take the Steelers here? Look, I'm no Packers fan, obviously. That has been just exasperated throughout my career. I have made that known to everybody. Um, I am no Packers fan. But the Packers at home, and, and this is a spot where Aaron Rodgers this week, all week, was talking about, you know, his future and how much he respects Tomlin and how much he likes Pittsburgh. You would think that Aaron Rodgers has some kind of plan of where he wants to play. And everybody's already kind of put him in Denver. But could he go to Pittsburgh with a, a number one defense, a young rookie running back, those three dominant receivers, and now all of a sudden an emerging tight end? He might look at Pittsburgh as, as the chance to win. I go to Pittsburgh. I don't even have to go out there and compete with uh, Mahomes or Herbert, right? It could be that. And if he does that, don't you want him to put on a display here? Look, you could say that Pittsburgh's defense is fantastic. They're missing a defensive tackle. They're missing a middle linebacker. And they might be without T.J. Watt, who could be the best defensive player in the league. I don't understand the line movement here at all, guys. We got one more late game before we go into the game, and that is the Ravens and the Broncos. This line was Broncos uh, getting one. Then, then they were plus one. It's basically even. You could get one one way or the other, depending on where you're looking. And I think it's finally going to settle in where the Ravens are probably minus one. Look, Denver is an impressive unit all over. Their statistics will be impressive everywhere you look. Everything you look at from Denver 
will be eye-poppingly impressive. Uh, Bridgewater is attempting the third most deep passes through week three. He only trails Derek Carr and Lamar Jackson. 19% of Bridgewater's passes have been downfield shots. Oh, Bridgewater is second in the NFL in completion percentage, eighth in the NFL in yards per attempt. They look great. Every single thing that you look at, you go, wow, the Denver Broncos statistics are just don't lie. They're eye-popping statistics. They can run the ball. They can throw the ball. Their offense is good. Von Miller comes back from an injury. He's already got three sacks on the season. They can rush the passer. They cover really well. Everything that you want out of Denver is right there. And then I'm going to throw cold water all over that. And I'm going to tell you that the Broncos' opponents are 0-9. They just came off of playing two bad teams. And when I say bad teams, I mean teams that very well might be picking number one and two in the NFL draft next year. That's the Jets and the Jaguars. They're bad teams. So their numbers are always going to be inflated. By the way, the Broncos are also going to be down five, possibly seven starters for the game. Judy, Hamler, Risner, Glasnow, Darby, Chubb, Jewel, all are banged up and potentially could miss this game. That's massive, guys. Right on the other side, you have Baltimore. And Baltimore is not getting any credit because, oh, you know what? They struggled with Detroit. You know what? Anybody that understands football knew that they were going to struggle in that game. Why would they not struggle in that game? They're coming off the biggest emotional win. And I told you this last week. The biggest emotional win in the history of Lamar Jackson's career. I know playoff wins are more important. Guys, he had never beaten Mahomes. They did it in prime time. They did it at home. They did it when they were banged up. And they did it when Lamar Jackson played his style of football to beat Patrick Mahomes playing his style of football. That was the biggest emotional win of Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens regular season in in forever. Guys, this was massive. And then they struggle against Detroit and everybody jumps off their ship. Look, if this game were played right after Baltimore beat Kansas City, what do you think the line would be? Baltimore would be four or five point favorite, six point favorite. I don't think it would hit a touchdown, but it wouldn't be far off. So what has changed your opinion? The fact that after that, after that loss and Hollywood Brown dropping two touchdowns, after all that, Baltimore all of a sudden is a bad team because they got a win in Detroit, but they had to earn it. All of a sudden they're a bad team. Are we kidding? All of a sudden the Broncos are a good team. Because they beat the Jags and they beat down the New York Jets? Come on. Come on, guys. You know, this is a weird line. And I get the line the line movement, and people are all over Denver here. All over Denver. Line moved to the other way to Baltimore. I, I just don't understand the line. Look, I'm not telling you to back the truck up here and, and, and take Baltimore. But I'm telling you they're my free play. They are my free play. I'm taking the Baltimore Ravens here. I can't even kind of contain you know, myself with all this. I'm not even going to save it to the end of the show. That's my free play. I don't understand why all of a sudden Baltimore's a bad team. I don't get why all of a sudden the Baltimore Ravens are that team that needs to struggle. All of a sudden, you know, nobody's looking at the Baltimore Ravens and and remembering that they just beat Patrick Mahomes. Well, you could say, you know, well, Patrick Mahomes doesn't look good now. You know, sure he does. Well, Kansas City's defense is bad. Yeah, they are. I don't buy into Denver right now. I think Teddy Bridgewater is a, is a very nice quarterback. Okay, Melvin Gordon's banged up. They're missing potentially seven starters tomorrow. I, th- th- this is this is a spot where I, I feel like it's almost too easy. Now I'm two and one on the year, so this will either send me to five hundred or kind of right the ship here. 
Okay, I'm two and one on the year on the free plays. Um, I'm giving you the Baltimore Ravens. By the way, let's talk about Timmy Timmy teaser play. And this is the Timmy teaser. He's going to take a teaser every single week in the pick segment. And uh, he's been doing it for a while. You guys know I hate teasers, but I say it all the time to Tim. Look, I don't like teasers, but he has convinced me over the years. You know, he wins with teasers. He just flat out wins with teasers. So he's 3-0 and on the year on his Timmy teaser picks. And here's what he's got. He's giving you a seven-point teaser for tomorrow. Chiefs minus the half, and Seahawks plus the 10. Look, he, he wrote me and he said, Kansas City just doesn't lose three in a row, right? Philly can't score, uh, you know, put up the score that they're going to need to beat them. And it is, look, Philly doesn't put up 30 points. Go look at their, their history. I get it. So Chiefs minus the half, I think that's going to be a very popular teaser pick tomorrow, but I can't go against it. I, I think Tim's right on, on target. And he's got Seattle plus 10. Well, I just gave you all the metrics here. He says, I don't see Seattle losing three in a row. Fire, 49ers have question marks, obviously all those injuries. And Wilson's dramatically better than Garoppolo. Uh, you can't argue with that. So he's got two-point teaser, uh, two-game, seven-point teaser, minus the half and plus the 10, minus the half for the Chiefs, plus the 10 for Seattle. All right, let's take a quick timeout. We'll come on back. We'll take five-minute timeout here. And when we get back, we are going to talk about the most anticipated game for the regular season in the history of the NFL. Yeah, we have that tomorrow night. All that and more right after this on Heatwave Sports. All right, guys, welcome back. Heatwave Sports, I'm Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. Guys, that Fresno State game is over. Just interception after interception at the end of the game. Hawaii comes storming back from 14 down. I lost that bet. I'm four and one. I I, I really wanted a five and zero day. Look, four and one feels. Listen, four and zero is great. <laughs> four and one's great, right? Don't get me wrong. I cleaned up. My clients absolutely cleaned up at TomBartonSports.com today. I wanted that five and zero. Um, all right, let's talk about tomorrow. The most anticipated game, and I keep saying it because I think it's massive. I think it is. I think it's a big deal to sit back and say the most anticipated game in the history of the NFL. I think that means something huge. Well, how many regular season games have we ever had? I mean, think about it. I'm not doing the numbers. And this is the most anticipated. Now, Gronk will be out of this game. And I'm sitting back and I'm going, yeah, you know, I kind of don't care. Uh, This was all all about Brady anyway. But from a matchup perspective, yeah, Gronk means something, right? Gronk's Brady's safety blanket, and Gronk is that guy that, while I like Cameron Bray, you know, you do lose that. The Tampa Bay Bucs are also dealing with all sorts of problems in their defensive backfield. Now, the Bucs are six-point favorites here, six-and-a-half. It's gone to seven. I expect this to go over the touchdown by by the time this goes off. There has been multiple sportsbook managers around town that have sat back and said that this is the most heavily bet one-sided game they've ever seen. I've heard people say, I, I, I can't find a ticket. You know, I spoke to a sportsbook director on Thursday. said, I don't think we wrote one ticket, not one ticket on New England. But what is weird is that there are there is some time here. Anybody that was going to bet New England 
is going to wait right up until game time because the public's going to continue to back the Bucks and the line is going to go up. So you have to know that. You have to know that everyone's going to continue to to sit back and bet the Bucks, and you're going to your best line is five minutes before kickoff. That's what your best line is going to be. I will also say this, and I put a tweet out at Tom Barton Sports about this. I, I put this out there, and it is something that you absolutely have to kind of recognize. There's the contrarian players, and there's the contrarian players. We are now in a world where everyone's trying to do my job. People that are unqualified are trying to do my job, and that is sit back, talk about sports in an entertaining way in a media format, but talk about sports betting on top of that. So you have a lot of these pop-up people that think that they're handicappers, that they think that they could talk about sports, and they're all seemingly picking New England. Well, I have to question, are they really putting money on that? Are they really actually going out there and putting their hard-earned cash on the Patriots? Or is this a way to say, oh, I took the Patriots? Because if, if the Bucks win, nobody looks back and says, hey, you picked the Patriots. But if the Patriots win, you go, ha, ha, I told you, because everybody was one way. So it's a contrarian conversation, and, and I wonder how much that will be moving the market in years to come. It's something to, to think about. But let's get into the game itself, right? Tom Brady is coming off of a loss. Tom Brady is 40 and 14 against the spread off of a loss. Again, most of that was with Bill. Tom Brady, well, this is just the 19th time that New England has been a home underdog since 2000. That's the fewest of any team, and New England is 14 and 4 against the spread. 14 and 4 the last 19 times, or the last 18 times. This will be the 19th. 14 and 4 the last 18 times against the spread. They cover, man, when they are an underdog at home. But again, how much of that is Belichick? How much is that is Brady? Same thing with Brady's 14, 14, 14 off of a spread against the loss. How much is that Brady? How much is that Belichick? You know, Brady is going in there and he's going in there as the favorite and they look, have a better team. They have more talent. You can't get around that. New England has looked pretty bad behind Mac Jones. Mac Jones has looked okay. The offense can't get anything done. James White is now out. That's a problem, right? The Patriots are two and five against the spread in the last seven games. That's an issue. The Bucs, by the way, five and zero against the spread after a loss. All right. The Bucs have just three sacks on the year. That has to worry you. They're not getting after the way that they should be. And while I said there's no James White, well, there's also no Giovanni Bernard. So the outlet pass for Tom Brady, well, that's going to be off the table as well. The Tampa Bay defense that was once really good, well, they're allowing 338 passing yards per game. That is historically bad. Last year, at this point, after three games of the season, the Atlanta Falcons were allowing about 320-something yards per game, and they were historically bad. Now Tampa Bay defense allowing 338 per game, setting new records. But this is all about Brady against Bill. And we can sit back and we can break down the teams. And basically, when you're looking at this game tomorrow, this is going to be, is there any way that Mac Jones could go could force the ball deep? Look, Brady's going to get his. We know that. They're going to load the box. He's going to have some confusion. He doesn't have Gronk. He doesn't have G- uh, uh, Giovanni Bernard. Sure, it won't matter because Brady will still find people. Brady's going to have his success. And that's just that. It's the other side. It's the side where Tampa Bay's defense is a sieve right now. Tampa Bay's defense is awful. They are banged up. They are having a bad time. And Mac Jones is a game manager. Mac Jones 
is going to Jacoby Myers, who just set the record for most completions without, or most receptions, I should say, without a touchdown. He's dinking and dunking and dinking and dunking and dinking and dunking. Can he go deep on a cornerback crew that's all banged up? That's going to be the key. But when you're talking about the Brady and Belichick conversation, you know, I've said all along, I never chose a side. I never chose a side. I think Brady made Belichick and Belichick made Brady. I think that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback I've ever seen. I think that Bill Belichick is the greatest coach that I've ever seen. I don't believe you have to choose a side in this. And I think that the media and, and the narrative is you have to. Brady against Bill. It is Brady against Bill. And it's a unique situation where it is actually Brady against Bill because it's Bill Belichick's defense against Tom Brady. I, I, I believe that. But I think one made the other. And a lot of people went out there today, and it is true. Look, Bill Belichick may have been fired. He may have been just destined to be a good defensive coordinator. He was 5-11 and and 0-2 before Brady took over. And he had that bad stint in Cleveland. Yeah, I get that. You know, and you look at nine seasons without Tom Brady, okay, when you're talking about being injured and whatnot. Uh, in eight full seasons, well, this is nine. In eight full seasons without Brady, he missed the playoffs seven times. He had a losing record on two teams, despite having a Pro Bowl quarterback uh, on both. You know, you look at this and you go, I think that if you had to choose a side, I don't like to. I think one made the other. I think Bill Walsh made Joe Montana and Joe Montana made Bill Walsh. Okay? I think it's the same exact situation, guys. I think a quarterback, Don Shula made Marino, Marino made Shula. Right? I think a quarterback makes the coach and a coach makes the quarterback. I believe that. Andy Reid made Patrick Mahomes, guys. Don't for one second think that Andy Reid didn't have a massive impact. But guess what? Patrick Mahomes made Andy Reid as well. So you can look at this, but I don't like the separation. If you had to ask me, I always think the player's a little bit more important. I always do. So, you know, it's not that I like Brady better than Belichick. It's more that I would say I think Brady was probably a little bit more important than Belichick in, in those times. As of tomorrow, though, I think it means more to Belichick to win. If we're if we're sitting here in next tomorrow night's show and me and Tim are sitting back and we're talking about the Bucks victory, all right, does that is that a giant story that lasts throughout the season? Is that a prevailing thought? No. No, by week 10, by week 12, no big deal, right? Brady with the better team, Brady with the Super Bowl championship team, Brady with the much more talent, Brady wins against a team that probably isn't a playoff team. Nobody's shocked. Nobody's crazy. It is what it is, right? But it means more to Belichick because if he can get that win, if he can get that win, if he can beat the Super Bowl champion and he can beat Tom Brady as an underdog with a team that can't win, a team that doesn't have talent, a rookie quarterback, if he can do that, all of a sudden, well, Belichick might sway the needle. Because let's be honest, in a divorce, everybody, you know, has their opinion one way or the other. This is a divorce that when it was divorced, Bill Belichick looked like the bad guy. He looked like he was the bad guy. And then it spiraled into not only being the bad guy, wow, the other one really did well, right? The, the, the guy that got the divorce, oh, man, you see his new girlfriend? Oh, she's beautiful. Oh, 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 and they love each other, and they got married. Oh, they're, they're having a great little life. Bill Belichick's still kind of sitting in his basement by himself, you know, eating Cheetos and playing on the computer, and people going, yeah, yeah, we got to get Bill out of his house. 
right? Bill's not good. He's not handling this breakup too well. I mean, that's what it is. But if Bill could get a win, Bill could go over the top and get a win. I mean, if we're going to stay with the relationship status, isn't that like Bill just bringing in that gorgeous Tate to a wedding of a mutual friend? He go, oh, man, I got the win. Oh, look, I didn't get the big win. I'm not married and everything. But I got the win tonight. I, I nailed it. So that's what Bill needs to do. It's more important for Bill to win. But there's also a lot more pressure on Brady in this spot. I'll go back to, and this is my final thought. I'll go back to everybody thinking that Brady is kind of a robot. He's not. He's still human. And we often forget in games like this the human factor. You talk to professional athletes that have gone back. Emmett Smith admitted crying in the locker room when he was from Arizona and he couldn't get his head in the game when he was from Arizona and went back to Dallas. Michael Vick talked about crying after the game. Could, couldn't quite focus when he went back to Atlanta. There's a lot of players throughout the history of the game that will talk about being shaken, not being able to handle going back into that stadium, the crowd, the fans, the atmosphere, the memories. They can't handle it even if they're great players. Now, some of them still perform well, but emotionally it's going to be trying. It's going to be trying for Brady. Now he's got some things up against him. He's without Giovanni Bernard. He's without Gronk. Those are safety blankets. So you're going into a tough spot, a tough emotional spot without your safety blankets. That's that's tough in itself. I think this game is going to be a lot closer than people think. I do think the Bucks win. I can't say that. How, how are they not? But man, if I'm a betting man, and oh, by the way, I am. I'm laying off. I'm just enjoying this one. Just watching it. Just enjoying it. But I kind of lean the points if this could get over a touchdown. But I'm sitting back and enjoying it. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me. That was a very quick two hours. Enjoy tomorrow. Chaos in baseball and the greatest regular season game in the history of the NFL all on deck for tomorrow. Tomorrow night, listen in at uh, right here. TomBartonSports.com. We'll be back. Tim Unglesby. And we're going to preview that Raiders Chargers Monday night game. Don't worry. I didn't forget about it. We're going to preview that tomorrow night. And we're going to go over who won the battle. Was it Brady or was it Belichick? Guys, go check out TomBartonSports.com. Coming off a four-on-one day in college football today, I'm sitting over 60% of the NFL on the season. You're going to have a big NFL card for tomorrow. Also, listen in at Sports Garden Network, SGN, hashtag SGN. And we have a very special guest on the show tomorrow night as well. Have a good one, everybody.